to episode 77 of Ribbon of Memes. For the opening quote, you'll have to imagine me holding up a card saying, Welcome to episode 77 of Ribbon of Memes, because we are discussing our first silent film. Um, I am Nick, and I am joined as ever by Roger. I would be silent, but you know it doesn't doesn't work so well on a podcast. Um, I thought of I thought of lots of clever things to do with the opening of the podcast, but they all involve me not saying anything, which may improve the podcast no end. Um, this is uh, Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other moguls as masterpieces. And today Ooh. we are discussing 2011's um, The Artist. Um, by, uh, I'm going to have to recut that because I had the director's name down and everything, and then I closed it. Um, I'll start again. Um, today we are discussing 2011's The Artist, a film by Michel Avenavicius. Avenavicius. Let's try that again. <laughs> today we are discussing 2011's The Artist. Um, by Michelle Avenavicius, I think, or something similar. I'm terribly sorry. I'm going to butcher a lot of um, uh, uh, non-English names here, uh, I'm afraid. Um, here we go. Our first silent film and our... Most well, time. I was going to say our first entirely black and white film. That's not true, given we just discussed Casablanca. But uh, our first entirely modern entirely black and white film. Mm. So th- this, I think, is one of those situations where the director has made something really quite successful and therefore gets let off the lead a bit for the next film. He, uh, he's done a few war movies, has he? Well, s- specifically, uh, what he'd done recently was OSS 77, uh, which is originally, it's a French, let's be frank, James Bond ripoff of the 60s and 70s. Right, okay. Which was all done deadly serious. And the, and the, uh, the films he made, Cairo Nesta Spies and Lost in Rio, I'm not going to bother with the French titles, uh, uh, yes, are much, much more explicitly parody. You know, here here is this macho arsehole who still gets what he wants nonetheless. It, it, it's a kind of one-joke thing, but but they're not terrible. Um, okay. But the important thing is they made a lot of money. And so he was in that situation of, now you can do whatever you like, um, which is always a risky thing to do to a director. Mm. So he made a silent film, because he'd wanted to for ages. Um, so th- there are definitely films... I, what, what would you say? I mean, this is basically the movies as a concept are a thing I'm in love with, and I want you to be in love with them too. Would you say that's fair? Uh, yeah, I think it comes... I mean, it's a very different end product, but it comes from the same place as Tarantino comes from, in that I'm a huge fan of movies. Um, let's geek out about them together. Yeah, I mm. think that's fair to say. Just different styles of movies they're well, it, in love it, with. It's, it's not even so much spot the reference as here is this style that I really like, which maybe you haven't seen, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a modern film, but it's still in this style. Well, this is, I think it's, I mean, there are a lot of films which um, uh, kind of parody or update um, films uh, for modern audiences. And and this is a film that almost, uh, some slight uh, technical things aside, but not many, could have been shown to an audience uh, of silent movies and and worked, frankly. Um, So it's, it's, it's... It's not really a tongue-in-cheek look. It's not a parody. It's yeah, it's kind of a love letter, really, to those films, Um, and a film that also 
works in its own right too. Hmm. I mean, so it, the... it reminds me in that respect of the first of the Pirates of the Caribbean film, which I think was on Stranger Tides, where it's, yes, we're saying that this does sometimes look a bit silly, but we're doing it because we love the originals. Yeah. And we don't, we don't want you to laugh at the originals. Yeah, and we, we wanted to do one too, rather than a kind of, ho ho, look what they did in Hammer Horror, kind of, wasn't that silly, and why did we all like that? that, that that's been done, it was called Carry On Screaming. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, uh, the story is... Uh, so this is a, a sub-two-hour film, which we always like. Um, <laughs> uh, it's still... It's, it's, uh, it isn't a film that zipped by for me, though. Uh, it's, it's probably the silent means it's very visual, of course. I, I, I did check. Point. I mean, I, I think of silent films as often being quite a short form. Hmm. But a, a lot of the great ones were two hours plus, so, you know, that, that's well, just Well, I me. watched, um, when I was first doing this, oh, what is the one? It's, um, I can't remember, but it's one of the very earliest films at all, and it was a, sort of a biblical epic and then a modern epic. It's like, and it is two Birth of a hours nation. plus. It's not, uh, it's not the, uh, <laughs> the Ku Klux Klan one. It's, uh, there, there I is will... another one, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's another demon, oh. isn't it? But it, uh, the the point is, it was a huge historical epic, and it was it was very long, um, and felt very long, frankly, as well. Um, but this, uh, it didn't drag so much as, but it uh, it didn't whiz by. Mm. Um, so this is the story. It's that we have uh, Jean de Jardin playing um, George Valentin. Valentine, who is a classic sort of Errol Flynn style, well, more than, more, uh, the Thief of Baghdad guys. I, I, I would argue it's very much a Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks style. Douglas Fairbanks is a very good example too. Um, yes. Uh, he is a Thief of Baghdad. Anyway, um, uh, a classic uh, silent movie star um, who um, I just feel like this is the only story ever told about silent movies is that <laughs> uh, 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 the talkies came along, and then everyone, almost everyone, failed to transmit um, over to the talkies. Well, I, I think um, we'll probably come back to that because it's because it's a lot more complicated and really quite interesting as well. But uh, well, yeah, so he 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 is the the great silent star. He and, is, and yeah. he meets um, uh, Peppy. Uh, Peppy, I've forgotten his surname now. Um, one of the consequences of having almost entirely um, <laughs> silent film, Peppy Miller. Um, played by uh, Berenice Beijo, or mm -hmm. sorry about the. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, bo but... both of our leads were also in the first of uh, Hasnavicious OSS Sondiset films. Uh, Jean de Jardin yes. was also in the second one, but Berenice Beijo didn't come back. Yes, so they were. They'd already worked with the the Michel uh, before, um, and so the story is that he sort of accidentally gets her onto the set of a film, they have incredible chemistry, and there's a mutual admiration, um, and uh, what could have turned into an affair, but this is a very um, uh, wholesome film, and uh, George is a uh, honourable man, and uh, they just make very good friends, and he, he basically gives her some very good advice, i.e., put a beauty spot on <laughs> which seems to be the summary of it um but yeah her career goes up his career goes down yeah yeah so he stakes everything on 
I think he writes and produces it himself. I, I might, maybe I missed. Mm. I, I got the impression that basically he was financing the whole film, which comes out uh, around about the time of the stock market crash, so not the best time. Um, and he loses everything uh, except his chauffeur um, and his lovely dog. Um, mm. And then we have the the story of um, uh, Pepe, who becomes one of the most famous stars of the talkies, still remembers her old mentor, friend, almost lover, um, George, uh, finds out he's down on his luck, buys all his stuff in a slightly creepy way, keeps it in her house. He. It's not creepy when Berenice Bejo does it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um he, uh, this is the second film we've had recently where we, uh, given the, uh, combustible qualities of, um, film stock, uh, plays a component to the film as, uh, George burns all his old, uh, film and sets fire to his house and almost dies. I don't know if that's a suicide attempt. Probably is sort of a vague suicide mm, attempt. I don't think it is. I mean, he, he is clearly in the depths of despair. I think it's more, yes. I don't care, I, w- I want all these memories to go away more than I actively want to kill myself. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, the fact that you can discuss that with this film is, is, is good, because it is very well um, characterised. Um, it's very well acted in the mm. way that the old silent films were. Uh so he ends up in hospital and then ends up in Peppy's bed, um, but not in that way. Um, she offers to make a film with him, but his pride gets in the way. Uh, she demands a position with him. Uh, uh, she demands a role for him in her new talkie, um, but he uh, escapes and um, escapes. <laughs> Sounds terrible. He leaves and goes back to his old burnt apartment. Well, and... also on the basis that he knows perfectly well that the audience never wanted to hear him talk. Yes. Um, and we find out why, I think, um, fairly shortly, as with the clever use of a bang um, a flashcard, um, which instead... Well, I don't know. Peppy's a terrible driver. I don't know if that's because she's a woman or what's her coke. Um, but anyway, if, she is if, a terrible driver. I mean, the only other driver we see is an old white man, so uh, it's yeah. a small sample. Yes, true, true. I, I think it's she... implied that she's gone straight from being too poor to afford a car to having a chauffeur, to be fair. And she is kind of um, a little bit uh, ditzy kind of character anyway, that kind of screwball character that was certainly common in the 20s uh, films. Um she rescues George, um, they reconcile, and she gets him a job as a dancer um, uh, in her new musical. And then we finally hear George speak at the end, and we find out the horrible truth that he has a French accent. <laughs> Could never have made it in the talkies regardless. Um, mm. Yeah, and that, that, as you said, it is, is a fairly straightforward story, and yes. I think it is a fairly straightforward story. There, there were a couple of places that I thought it was starting to edge into trying to do something more. Uh, basically, the, yes. the, the, particularly the first time we hear any sound, like the, his uh, nightmare sequence, where it yes, lo- this- I mean, we, we've had him talking and other and other people talking to him, and you know, the, 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 it's a silent film, but they are, their mouths are moving and there's clearly understanding going on. Yes, with, it's not with, some with parallel universe where 
no one can hear sound or anything like that. Yeah, with, with or without the intertitles, we get we get both, and that's fine. Yeah. But um, when things are starting to go wrong for him, um, his nightmare is that everything is making sounds that we actually hear. Yes, and and he can't. In some well, no, and he he is hearing you know the, the environmental sounds, but he can't make any sound himself. So he's literally sort of unable to join in this new world of sound. So to um, us as the viewer, this is obviously a, a, a different thing because one thing has the thing on the soundtrack and the other doesn't. Yes. What that is to him, we don't know, and that that I found really interesting. I, it is really just that one, just that one scene. But and it's um it's the one that makes you think, wow, they could really do something very interesting here. Um, mm. uh, and is it going to actually develop into it? And it's uh, I suppose I took it in the context of what he experiences is is kind of what we see in the dream that uh, these sounds are unusual in the way that dream logic kind of works. Mm. Uh, sounds are unusual to him, but he can't make any sound of his own. So I just sort of took it that. Uh, d- despite his everyday experience in this realm, it was it was very strange yeah. experience for him. But um, I, I would like it... to make a passing mention of a German film from a few years ago, Die Farb, which is an adaptation of Lovecraft's tale, The Color Out of Space. It's shot in black and white, except for the color. Yes, that's good. That's very good. That that's really the only way you can. It's similar to the only way you can really envision four or five dimensions is to sort of drop to two dimensions and think about another one. Um, oh, I just visualise it into n dimensions and then let n spe- specialise into five. Most human <laughs> brains are not equipped <laughs> to deal with such things. Um, but it was not, and I thought that was a really, effect, I mean, it's not a kind of, it's not a subtle metaphor, but it's not, it, it's just, it was really, it worked on a lot of levels, really. Mm. On the, suddenly yeah. the... Um, the sound is different to us. You understand why it's terrifying for him. It's it's quite clearly kind of what's going to happen. So yeah, I thought it, that it's was a great. disorientation that's very effective indeed. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see the film try to do a bit more with that, but that's really about as far as it goes. Well, I think that it sort of does sort of edge into disappointment, and probably maybe this is because we're science fiction fans, and generally, you know, it, it creates a sort of oh, that's a really interesting question. How does? Um, but it never really. It goes back then for almost the entirety of the film to just being a silent film, mm. which is it's, it's fine. I mean, that's what I was expecting going in. It was just that it was an exciting moment where you thought, oh, they could really, and, and they never did. Except for the very end, uh, we hear sort of two or three lines of dialogue, um, uh, which works fine as well, but that, that wasn't as exciting and you could have sort of predicted that I guess. Yeah and I did enjoy it I, I wondered to the, the extent to which you could say well hang on a minute the, this film is as, as you say pretty close to something that could have been made and shown in the silent era why don't I watch a film that was made in the silent era I mean it's 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 not as difficult as it used to be. This is 2011. The, the, the big archives are starting to become available. Yes. Um, in, in large part because the things are unpopular. No, nobody expects to be able to pay a lot of money for the rights to them. So. Yes. They're, they're, they're not too hard to get hold of. When they survive at all, obviously. Um. Yes. And. The, the answer to that for me is that, that, that slight twist. And I'm not sure it's enough. 
But yeah, then again, to to the mainstream audience who go out and see a film at the cinema, that's not a that's not a consideration that they're facing. So yeah, th- this is probably me being unfair rather than anything else. Well, I think it was. Uh, I I absolutely uh, agree with you to some extent. Um, that <laughs> uh, uh, to some extent, I absolutely agree with you, dear me. It's a very political answer. Um, uh, in that. I mean, I don't think it's it's malign. We've already mentioned there's no way that this is like, ha-ha, we can do it better than they ever did. It's like, I want to make a film just like they used to make. Mm. And it's, it's all so effective, yes, that it raises that question, really, as to why not. It's also for me, and I probably not for you either, it's not the first silent film I've ever watched, and oh, I've really enjoyed um, a, a number of others. Um, and so... Uh, to some extent, it, I, I think that's it. It's um, it leaves a sort of air of okay. Well, what? Why then? Whereas when the dream sequence came up, I thought, oh goodness, this is why. There's a they can actually do something clever here, um, but they didn't. It's it's just ex- exactly as you say. It just sort of yeah. Uh, it you know um, there are I've watched you know the cabinet of Dr. Caligari or mm. M, um, both silent films, which are very uh, and interesting. And for that matter, origin- Dosferatu for this very show. Dosferatu, of course, yes, exactly. Uh, all of which are, well, I, I remember us being a bit surprised, or I was a bit surprised with Nosferatu as to how innovative and modern and effective it felt. Mm. Um, whereas this, the story isn't terribly original, I don't think. I mean, when uh, to me, that is... That whenever you talk about silent movies in Hollywood, it's always about oh, and then the talkies came along and killed them off, and that was that was it, and no one made it, and that's um, as you say, the truth isn't quite like that. Um, but it, it didn't feel like the most original idea. It was, I, I don't want to be, I, I feel like we're damning it with paint praise because it's it's a very charming, very well made, and very watchable mm. film. I mean, I, I think. To um, slightly spoiler um, the, the end of the show, we, we've looked at the reactions it got, which were overwhelmingly positive, and thought, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, it's good. I enjoyed it. There, yeah. there are definitely films I would rather watch this again than, frankly, oh, yeah. Cinema Paradiso, which is not bad. But I'm absolutely, in, in terms yeah. of I love the movies and you should too, I think yeah. this does a better job of, of saying that. Yes. But, but it, it has that problem, um, which we both, I mean, we both try and avoid reading around a film too much before we watch it. But it was sort of inescapable, because at the time, I remember it, just everyone adored it and mm. said how great it was and fantastic. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's as good as another hundred year old film, I suppose. And that's, <laughs> that's, um, well, the, the, the actual filming is, is of better technical quality, obviously, but yeah. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, so some of us grew up with small black and white TVs, so yeah. I, to be honest, I find that, you know, the crispness of the image or whatever, it fades into the background fairly yeah. quickly if, um, if, if you're enjoying a story. Well, similarly with me for, you know, because I grew up watching stuff in black and white anyway, I just, Okay, this is in black and white. I make that transition. I don't notice it anymore. Yeah, and I, 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 I I've heard of people who actually can tell you about the colours in something like Casablanca, even though they know they aren't there, simply because in their heads that's what it's like. <laughs> yes, which is, um, 
But I suppose also for neither of us is a film being silent or black and white a barrier to us watching it, mm. particularly. And so it's not, it doesn't feel like that I think, oh, well, there were some good silent films, maybe I should try some more. It just feels like, okay, yeah. Uh, underwhelmed, I suppose, is, is maybe the... The, the summary. Give yeah, I mean, as as we phrase. said with uh, District Nine, uh, when yeah. when, a, when everybody's raved about a film, it makes it harder to appreciate it for what it is, rather than be disappointed because it's not the most amazing film ever. You know, stop making opposite, films now; it's done. It's sort of the opposite of the Ghost of Mars effect, isn't it? Which <laughs> really didn't deserve the kicking it got. Ghost of Mars. Um, um, and the artists, uh, well, I don't know about didn't deserve the praise. I mean, we haven't talked about the acting. Um, we have um, Jean de Jardin. Uh, I, I mean, he's he's great in it, really. Yeah. I mean, he, he's every inch the dashing silent movie star. It's not an easy look to carry off. I mean, people have tried it in parodies, and yeah, he he makes it work. Obviously, he has studied Fairbanks. Yes, and this is great. Uh, yes. And he does it very well. I, I believe at the time this was being made, uh, there'd just been a book about Fairbanks and his life. Uh, oh, okay. Which, which, right, which yeah. may have been one of the reasons there was interest in doing it, you know, at this particular time, though I, I think it's something that Hasnovicius had planned for a while. Well, I wonder if, because it is, uh, insofar as we get a twist or a reveal, he appears every inch this kind of American hero. Mm. Um, and so to find out he's French, I suppose, is a surprise. It's not really, though, because I knew he was a French actor and assumed well, he had a French yeah. accent. So, so it's not, I, I mean, the film, the film doesn't hinge well, on I mean, there, there, there certainly were actors who didn't make the jump because of accents. I mean, Anyondra, um, Carl Dane, both essentially yeah. their careers ended because people really didn't want to hear them speak with an accent. So, yeah, fair enough. So it literally was an impediment um, back then. Which is, I yeah. Guess, there, there was one thing. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm. I, I probably am being unreasonable here. The way the, I mean, th this is listed in some places as a romance and in some places as not a romance. Yes. And it there is there is obviously a solid friendship um, between Valentin and Pepe. Yeah. And yeah, she, yes, his wife leaves him. She is the one who sticks with him, and so on. There, yeah. there is, there is nothing, nothing, yeah, no explicit hugs or kisses or anything like that. And it occurred to me that I wonder if this is a slight skew because the production code comes in in 1934. So for the era yeah. that we're actually seeing, you didn't it, have it would be entirely fine to have a bit of that. It feels very production code clean, but you're right. It wouldn't have had to have been. And certainly, well, you know, Nosferatu and M and some of the other films we talked about, and they are, you know, they're a long way from production code films. Uh, they're pretty brutal and dark. Uh, or, I mean, the closest we get to a sort of romantic moment, I suppose, is the on-screen one where they're dancing mm. and they just have this. And it's not quite romantic, but it's clear there's some chemistry happening. Um, yeah, but you're yeah. right that that they wouldn't need to have been that. But I suppose in the, I mean you know, in, still... in, in actual contemporaneous films, you you people are explicitly having affairs, and nobody regards that as as a scary thing that you shouldn't show on screen. So, 
Yeah. Yes, so maybe it was cleaner than it needed to be. That said, you know, you'd, you'd still have films that were intended for audiences that, that didn't have to oh, have sure, that sure. stuff in. So, but I agree, it felt a bit comics, uh, comics code, uh, production. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm reading a story of the comics code um, at the minute. Um, it felt a bit uh, production code touched um, and didn't need to be. I agree with you there. Though, though there is a bit that I love in that opening sequence where we're seeing a, a chunk of one of the silent action films yeah, would that have been a better film to us? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but the the thing that you can only do because of this format, you know, in, in one shot, he is lying there in the cell having been tortured and beaten up by the guards and whatever, and the dog yeah. comes in and licks him. And we cut away to the audience and they're going, gosh, wow. And then the next <laughs> shot, he is standing outside his cell. <laughs> yes. That, that, that is just such a, a perfect... Not- that, there were some utterly unconvincing things. Yeah, not a hero in, in those days and later, and that was just saying, yeah, let, let, let's not hang a lampshade on it, but yes, this is the way it works. This is the sort of film he's making. Yeah, and, that, that's yeah, and it was that was yes. It, again, it didn't feel mean spirited. It was just like this is how it worked. You watch hmm. him, you know, with all those serials, you watch them fly off the cliff and the jetpack explode, and think, how's he going to get out of that? And then next week, he never actually flies off the cliff. So uh, <laughs> yes, so it's it's a kind king of, of the rocket man has a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we have uh, we've uh, also have uh, Berenice Bejo, um as Pepe. Um, again, very good. She's very. I mean, they're both doing this very expert. I mean, she's kind of a. It, it's a mostly bubbly. Valentine's show, to be fair. It, it is. She's in it as a as a side character, uh, but uh, the most significant side character. Um, mm. uh, and she's, uh, you know, they, they, their personalities kind of sparkle on the screen, and you can understand why there's a, a free song between them. Um, and then we have John Goodman cropping up as well. He, yeah, he a, a returning about. ribbon of memes actor. Big Lebowski, I think mm-hmm. we had him in. Walter Sotrak, yeah. You think a lot of his acting for John Goodman is in his speech um, and his voice, but he does a great job here as a, uh, again, not a challenging role, as a as kind of slightly tough, not not horrible, but slightly tough 20s um, production mm-hmm. guy, movie producer. Um and he does not look like John Goodman doing doing a bit. He looks like an actor playing that part. I suppose I did find it distracting in the sense okay. that he was a recognisable face. Oh, fair enough. Um, amongst I, I, nothing against him, but just that uh, I recognised him, and I, I frankly I didn't recognise the other playboy. And so, because I knew he was contemporaneous it slightly took me out of the feel that this is a 20s film. But that's, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not really a criticism. It just uh, is me. Oh, I forgot to mention Uggy. Uh, <laughs> I wondered if you were going to, yeah. <laughs> Uggy the Jack Russell, um, who is sadly no longer with us, um, passed away from a uh, presumed uh, urothelial carcinoma in his prostate um, in 2015. Uh, sorry to get pathological, but he he's very good in it too. Um, that also great seen in Mr. Fix-It, Water for Elephants, Key and Peele. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. multi-talented, uh, or at least um, uh, his owner got paid a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very good. He is very charming. Um, uh, he does become a character in the film. and I, In a way where it would be harder to do in a talkie, a dog can have much more of a character because no one's talking and no one says mm. anything. And, and no one, uh, he, his character perhaps looms a bit larger than it would do 
Yeah, I mean, we 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 know that the, the the facial muscle range is quite limited, but a dog can still have an expression in terms of body language, and, and that's oh, that's done very nicely. I, I I I was very pleased that a the dog had enough sense to rescue himself. <laughs> yes, and very and good. also I, I was starting to think that there are times when you, you think, hang on, in in a different film, this this role might be played by the magical Negro, and I'm really glad it's the magical dog instead. <laughs> yes, that, that's a very good point, and that may have come up more in the twenty. Speaking of him, birth of an H and, and such. Oh, we also had James Cromwell. I don't know, have we had him in Ribbon of Me's before? We have James Cromwell as the uh, chauffeur. Uh, was uh, we last talked about him uh, in oh, L.A. Confidential as the um, oh, okay. the yeah. bad lieutenant or whatever who shoots um, poor old uh, uh, Kevin Spacey? Just not something people. Captain Dudley much. Smith, yeah. Dudley Smith, yes. So, yeah, I suppose he he didn't take me out of it in such in a way because he has a face that sort of fits <laughs> fits that era a bit better. Don't mm. know why. And I, I haven't seen him a lot, so he's, he's not uh, as he's also recognisable the, the way, he, which I've never seen. Very... But the, the, the way John Goodman is, even to me. Yes, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so, yeah, we have this um, interesting ensemble cast, but the two main characters are um, both foreign actors, um, and we have a French director. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's I mean, very handy from the point of view of um, internationalising. I mean, you, you've got to change a bunch of sub, of intertitles and one it, yeah. spoken line. <laughs> one thing that I will admit struck me uh, was that gorgeous Art Deco background in in that final musical dance scene. Oh, lovely! Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm a big sucker for Art Deco, particularly streamlined modern, which is where where they say right, and it's got to move fast. <laughs> now, are you supposed to be watching that or the dancing, really, Roger? Did the dancing yeah, but <laughs> they, they improve each other. Okay. The, the, yeah. I mean, I, I know perfectly well I, I have done a little ballroom dancing and I know perfectly well that I would be absolutely rubbish in this context. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I can admire it, but it passes me by. Architecture, I can say, ooh, yeah. <laughs> that, exactly. that makes sense. <laughs> I agree. Dancing to me is just another realm beyond to which I can never aspire. Um, but architecture, yeah, you can at least look at it. Um, <laughs> yes, very good. And uh, well, that's the story and that's the background. And it's a bit, it's all a bit thin, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I I, to be fair, I did enjoy it. I did not get bored watching it. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's really charming. It makes you feel happy. And I'm. Uh, I, if a film makes me feel anything, I'm generally. <laughs> I'm generally <laughs> God, blimey, that makes me sound I, um, cold and dead. But uh, it, it's, it's catching. A charming film. Become like <laughs> us. Uh, it's yeah, charming. Yeah. I think that was the one. The one word I'd use to describe it. Um, I, I would like to have a, a quick. Um, Side note in, into the coming of Soundfall, and we, we may come back to this uh, as and when, when, when the, when the time cycles round again. I roll back round again, yeah, when the stars are right. But um, yeah, some actors definitely didn't make the jump. So quite a few did. Um, one of the things that surprised people was not so much that they had to speak, and obviously there were people who had voices that weren't acceptable, though that wasn't a majority thing. But um, that also because the they were also at the same time shifting to close-ups more. 
Yes. Uh, so instead of the essentially stage play style of I will make a great big gesture because you you guys in the back row need to see it. And effectively, a lot of the early film was we will take the stage and frame it in the camera. Mm. And as that shifted more, which was not exactly coincident with sound, but similar sort of time, um, they they needed to shift the acting style as well. So what looks great uh, to an audience uh, 30 feet away when you're right in their face looks like ridiculous mugging, I suppose. And the other thing is, of course, that uh, quite a lot of studios simply said, you you are an old, expensive actor, and so we don't want to pay you anymore, so we're going to say, oh, the audience doesn't want to see you. Go go away. Here Here is a new oh, person goodness. who is much cheaper. Because, you know... I suppose from, from their <laughs> It's just what people do. Because that's Hollywood. <laughs> that's showbiz. Um, I, I suppose... It was suddenly... Un- now, is it true that... Was it suddenly uncertain that silent movie stars it wasn't certain whether they would be a draw for the talkies or is that as you say just an excuse well it depended on the star i mean many of them don't don't forget had had been doing uh radio interviews it wasn't it wasn't a big era for radio but there was a thing that was happening um so it wasn't like goodness me how does he sound like that? some of them had been cutting records uh charlie chaplin did a fair bit of that i think and um, it, it, it was, yes, in some cases, it was, oh crap, you, you, you have a horrible working class Bronx voice. Nobody wants to listen to you. Yes. But, but there were those other reasons going in as well. Uh, the, the thing I discovered while, while doing a bit of a research uh, rabbit hole on this was in Japan. Yes. That where the, the, it actually lasted quite a bit longer. You, you had the tradition of the Benchy who was basically a narrator who would be physically sitting there in the cinema when the film was being shown, who would not only read out the, the intertitles, um, but would uh, improvise round them. Wow. And so he the, had to be physically present for every showing of the film. Though. Well, it, it's not as if a film had a particular benchy attached to it. it yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the, the particular cinema would have one. And the quality of that of that guy would, to some extent, determine which cinema you went to watch a film in. I was going to say, that's incredible. Um, yeah, because they could make or break a film, you can imagine. And that, So that went on for a long time after... I, I think it, it was certainly happening a bit in the Second World War still. Um, there, there are one or two people who do it now, but it's it's more along the lines of we want to keep this tradition going than there is actually an audience for it. I think. For some reason, that puts me in mind of the narrator in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> it feels like that, that <laughs> yeah. sort of role. Um, oh, the the thing I really loved. Um, you're remembering uh, as we've talked about recently when when 3D came in and a lot of studios wanted to say, well, we we want a 3D film. We don't actually want to pay for a 3D film, so we'll have it post production 3Dified. Yes. There was a procedure for recording a soundtrack to add to a silent film that had already been shot. And this was known as goat glanding. Goat glanding? Because of uh, one of my favourite quacks, John R. Brinkley, who invented the technique for essentially xenotransplantation, which d- d- you couldn't use those words, but essentially it was about restoring virility. Uh, if, okay. if you have a pair of goat knackers attached to your knackers, obviously this will make everything better. Well, I mean, that's—I'm not going to disagree with that. I don't know what you call them, a quack. 
okay. Well, he 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 did attend um, a medical school. He didn't actually pay them, so they didn't give didn't you know let him take the exams or anything. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he snuck into the back of the lecture hall. <laughs> Fantastic, and so. Goat landing was the process of so that that was the turn that was sticking another soundtrack on yeah well sticking a soundtrack on a film that hadn't previously had one simply because it was a term that everybody was familiar with from this guy's activities. Why don't they do that with colorized film? That certainly <laughs> was goat landed when they colorized it. Really fascinating. So yeah, just I couldn't help noticing the, the, the parallels with the various attempts at 3D. Uh, there, there were several different systems for sync sound, and you know, some of them you, you needed to have a special projector with, with synchronization tools so you could, you could keep the gramophone record spinning at the right speed, that kind of thing. But it, so. I, well, I was about to say, but it just wouldn't work because a silent film is made entirely differently to a talkie. But then, I suppose, a 3D film. Should well, be made entirely different to a two D. I think a true three D film is, yeah. Um, yeah. Even but even if it's just a matter of even if it's just a matter of saying, well, you know, we can decide in post where we're going to put the virtual camera and how we're yes. going to move it in a way that we couldn't do if it were a physical camera that had to be moved at the time of filming. Yes. So yeah. Well, fascinating. I. I they enjoy film history just a bit. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> I love that. But they're, they're, um, I don't get any of that from this film. I, I feel what we're given, like I, I, I don't feel like we learn anything about the talkies or the silent movies. I, it may be you knew li- mm. so little about it that that was a surprise. But um, maybe. I thought maybe it's one of those things where we just don't like being told something we already know because. Um, I mean, I did, I did enjoy it. So, yeah. yeah, I, I, that I, actually being way too harsh. It's a very charming, very pleasurable, pleasurable way to spend um, not quite two hours. Um, but I, yeah, it sounds like we were both left with a oh, well, that was that then. Yeah, clearly we should we should make sure we know even less about films before we watch them, <laughs> while at the same time I, picking the exact right films to watch. Well, uh, yes. Well, I think that my summary, really, of the film is it's a nice silent film. Uh, I have seen better silent films. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it it's uh, one of the reasons we did look at it is that positive reaction, and that was shown as winning five Academy Awards. Yeah, um, everyone loved it. Best Picture, Best Director, uh, Actor, Original Score, and Costume Design. So, yeah. Uh, fair enough. First mainly silent film to win since 1927. Uh, 1929 was the first Academy Awards and Wings won. Um, but it wasn't quite... It's it's silent in the way that Schindler's List is uh, black yeah. and white. It it's plays around with it very slightly. Uh, first 4 to 3 aspect ratio film to win since 1953. Oh, it's a 4 to 3 aspect, is it? Um, again, I don't notice. Bit, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's completely lost on me. Uh, first black and white film to win since Schindler's List, or first hundred percent black and white film to win since nineteen sixty. What was that? The apartment. Uh, the apartment. Yeah. Oh, that was a very late black and white film. That's a flipping great film. Hmm. Oh, I love the apartment. Sorry, <laughs> Billy Wilder can write it. I'll watch it. That's mm-hmm. fine. Um, and Jack Lemmon in it would be quite a bonus. Anyway, I um, mean, to, to what extent this was simply been because there hadn't been big budget, take it seriously for the Oscars films that weren't 
in you know wide ratio full color full sound i don't know but well i think that's i think you've hit the nail on the head there really i mean uh i mean this is classic sort of oscar fodder in that it's very safe no one's going to be upset if you love it um uh i just i it's almost like wow I thought this film would be crap because there's no sound and it's actually really good. That seems to be the the reaction. Maybe. Um, and of course, it's, it's not a trick anybody else can repeat because now we've had a multi-Oscar winning film with all those things and, and, and if somebody did it again, it would have to uh, be better. Now, did you feel it felt like a, a gimmick having it as a silent film? or <sighs> A bit. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's... gimmick I like, so I don't, I don't mind as much. Yeah. It, it's a gimmick that they pull off. Um, I, it, I mean, and, and, it, as with Hitchcock making, I think it was Rope, uh, rope that, he, oh. that, that he said had to be shot in 10-minute takes. Well, the, the whole film is supposed to be one continuous take, but the, every 10 minutes there's someone walks in front of the camera. Yeah, or and, and he had major problems because many of his actors were simply unable to memorise 10 minutes' worth of lines because it just wasn't a thing they were asked to do. So I think, as with that, it ma- it makes a change to the shape of the film, the shape of the thing we get. Yes, yeah. So in, in that sense, it's not just a gimmick, I think. No, well, Hitchcock, uh, I, I suppose it's the kind of, um, you know, the artistic thing of you make something more interesting when you put limits on your imagination, you have to work mm. within it. And it felt it felt more like that than a gimmick. But I think it is a... A bit of a gimmick, but I, gimmick's sort of a derogatory term, really, isn't it? I, I don't think it, it's not just that it has a lot going for it otherwise, but it it's not. It wouldn't be that film if it wasn't silent. It couldn't be. Um, mm. But there we are. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. Um, very so much. yeah, the, Is it I, a it, masterpiece it's... for you, Roger. Mm. Not quite. Mm. I mean, it's fun, I... but it's not great. I agree. It's uh, it's not deep enough for me. Um, it's not that it's entirely shallow. You know, it touches on some dark aspects, and the characters are as deep as they can be, and certainly deeper than some of the films we have thought were masterpieces. <laughs> but I think I would go if all it's got going for it really is that it's a silent film. I've seen better ones that I did think were masterpieces, like Nosferatu. Um, and if it's a film about the movie industry, well, I've probably seen better ones too. But I agree like with Shadow you. Like Shadow of the Vampire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you. Um, I would certainly rather watch it again than Cinema Paradiso, which I was less charmed by. Um, and I don't think... I, I think it does a better like... job of showing you why this stuff is charming, rather than yes. just saying, gosh, I am charmed by this and you should be too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There was a, there was a sort of slightly superior air to cinema parody. So I, perhaps I'm being cruel on it, but it, it just yeah. I here this just felt like really this is what I love. Maybe you'll love it too, and lots of people did, and mm. that's lovely. So other other things happening in this year in film. Uh, at the Academy Awards, the the joint winner for for most academies is uh, Hugo, which is. Yeah, Scorsese does a kids' adventure film. Oh yeah, I, I've no, I can't imagine what that was like, and I, um, I've never felt tempted to watch it. Well, in in its way, it is also kind of a love letter to film, which is, I suspect, helped it on the Academy thing. Also, of course, the Scorsese name, um, uh, yes, in, in that yeah. it does involve um, Georges Méliès. Perhaps I'll give it a try someday. I don't uh, know why. I, I think it's the clash yeah. between. 
the genre and Scorsese, I don't know. I'll give it a try. <laughs> that's me being president. Uh, the best actress goes to Meryl Streep as Margaret Thatcher in The Iron Lady. Um, I've never watched that for <laughs> multiple reasons. Uh, supporting actor goes to Christopher Plummer in Beginners, which I don't think I remember at all. I vaguely uh, you remember know, something. Coming, you know, after, after Mum died, Dad came out of the closet. We had you know ten years of getting used to Dad being gay. Now Dad is dead, and now I have to get on with my life, sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, okay. Um, uh, supporting actress. People problems film. Octavia Spencer in The Help. Which no, I, no idea. I've heard good things about. I mean, yes, it's it's Hollywood. Ooh, racism is bad, but even so, apparently it's done reasonably well. Um, original screenplay goes to Woody Allen for Midnight in Paris, and I'm just allergic to Woody Allen, so you know that's a problem. Uh, yeah, problematic, I suppose. A bit like, um, uh, uh, who am I trying to think of? Uh, one of our Ribbon of Memes directors who fled the country because he raped someone. Um, yeah, well, uh, the, the, the Woody Allen thing is a little less clear than that. But, uh, well, exactly, yes, yeah, that's true. He was not convicted of any crime. Uh, and adapted screenplay uh, went to various authors for The Descendants, which is... Uh, yeah, you know, I I I am the uh, fa- family um, heir who who owns the the last unscrewed over plot of land in in Hawaii, and I'm going to decide not to sell it and make even more money than I already have. Well, there we go. But... What a hero! Um, <laughs> I, I, they all sound semi intro, but rather formulaic. But then we're about to have the top ten if we want to <laughs> formulaic. Yeah, um, n- none none like of those very... is in the top ten. They all sound like very Oscar films. Yeah. But they sound like the sort of films the Oscar before they realised, well, actually, it turns out people who aren't uh, white might want some Oscars at some point. Uh, and they've sort of tried oh, to... Oh, do, do, do they let them go to cinemas now? Nobody, uh, t- nobody <laughs> told me. Exactly. Um, so, it yeah. It feels like a very pre-that era um, roundup of films. Well, I mean, Octavia Spencer is... is it's a pretty good showing on that, but this is just the one major role in the whole slate, so, yeah. It's, I'm speaking out, it does sound very much like um, uh, a white person's view of racism uh, that, uh, along the lines of Mississippi burning, rather than do the mm. right thing, for instance. But I will, um, I can't comment. Cause I haven't seen it. So, at the box office, you're going to love this lot. <laughs> Number 10, Carl's 2. Uh, that's alright, actually, because it's got Michael Caine in it. <laughs> it's a Pixar film, and as such, is not terrible. Uh, fair enough, we, we, yeah. Uh, it's not their greatest, I'm not going to compare it to some of their best, but it's alright. At number nine, the only entry here that is not a sequel, The Smurfs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> got my hopes up for a minute there. Uh, number eight, The Hangover, part two. Oh, God. Uh, number seven, Fast Five. Fast Five? Were they at five already by then? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think it took till number four till they realised that what the audience wants is not a different set of actors. They want the same the same people going faster and blowing stuff up more. What a surprise! I mean, how many franchises get to five and then start to shoot back up the charts again? That's so. Uh, but there we are. 
I've not seen any of them, so I can't, I've, I've seen one and three, both of which actually had a few things to say. Though in three, it was mostly I have been to famous screenwriters' school and I've got all the matchbooks. Uh, <laughs> the best title is Too Fast, Too Furious, which um, yeah, I'm very pleased with. That makes me happy. Uh, so at number six, Kung Fu Panda Two. I've heard good things about Kung Fu Panda. I've not seen it. But... I surprisingly have not seen it either, and I have also heard good things about it. Uh, number five, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Tom Cruise gets to do the Tom Cruise thing, and there are yeah, some other people. I sort of lost track. I think we talked about this before that when they killed off all the things we liked about the Mission Impossible franchise in the first ten minutes of the first film, mm-hmm. then you sort of lose interest. I, I will readily admit that that I have the original series to watch whenever I want to. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't mind you know modern, vaguely covert operative action stuff, but it's not Mission yeah. Impossible to me. No, I don't know really why they use the name. It's got zero connection to the TV show now. Yeah. It seems to me they just use the theme music, which is cool. So I can't blame Except they broke it. Oh, did they? They shifted it out of 5.8 into 8.8. The the, the distinctive thing about it was the 5.8 type signature. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I've gone gone on at length about this elsewhere. I will not do it again here. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen any films beyond the first... um, yeah, and so, I've got I've got the soundtrack of, to the original um, TV show somewhere, so I must mm-hmm. it must have passed me by that they bolted it up. Uh, so at number four, uh, the Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn, Part One, because I, all, this, yeah. yeah, we're right in the middle of the week, but to double up the the last uh, film in the series. Yes, because we're about to run out of money and franchise, and we better stretch it out. And, and, we, and we want you to pay for two tickets. Was that even the last one, or is that... I, yeah, anyway, doesn't I matter. I think so, but I, I... I don't think either of us would qualify as an expert on the Twilight series, he no, said, he said politely. We'll charitably say we're not the target audience. Uh, number three, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which is the one they adapted very, very loosely from a Tim Powers book, which was actually quite good, the book. But the film... Isn't a lot. I've not other. seen the film. I don't want to see the film. I, I enjoyed uh, the book. I, <laughs> I think I might have seen the film, but it's all mixed up in, with all the other ones they did. Uh, number two, Transformers: Dark of the Moon. God blimey, <laughs> Michael Bay! All right, that's enough of that. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure you used big enough capitals to, for his name there. And, and <laughs> number one, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah. Thank God that Marvel will come and dominate the chart very soon. Because, well, um... I, I have to say that if you if you don't look at the box office, if if you look at to some extent the Academy Awards, I mean, Marianne's top ten list has some overlap with this, but it also talks about um, Rango, um, the an, oh, an, animated, excellent animated film, um, Martha Marcy May Marlene um, about cult survival and so on. Uh, yeah, there the, there are finally starting to be films that are not either give this an Oscar you bastards or give me lots of money you bastards there is actually some sort of space of I just want to make a damn film well I guess subjectively we didn't find it that hard to find films we were interested in in 2011 whereas Hmm. mid mid 90s 
was it that, that we were just struggling? Th- there have definitely been some tough years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I will, I'll, I'll give you that. We didn't look that deeply before we t- found two films <laughs> that were considered very good that we were both interested in. And we haven't even mentioned the other one yet. No, we haven't. <laughs> That's a shame. Should be in the top ten. Anyway, no spoilers. Well, there we are. It only remains for me to say 